All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. This is episode number 168 with Lloyd DeYoung. We're going to get into who actually controls America and where the money is coming from. Everybody is constantly discussing or saying to follow the money. And uh, we actually, uh, Lloyd took the time to actually dig up the money trail and to actually follow it. And it's much different than most people presume. Uh, so we're going to be going into that today. Last week, I took the week off. I took a vacation with my son up to Tahoe on the way home. I picked up a uh, new Trump hat just to uh, upset the liberals, but it's uh, fitting for today's show. Um, anyway, uh, Lloyd, welcome back to the show. What is this, number 10 with you, or have we done 12? Or no, we did 10 on Islam and seven. 4 on, on Judaism, I think, right? 7 plus 4 plus 2. That's 13, right? 7 plus 4 is what? 11? Yeah. Plus, plus okay, two, so 13. Okay, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so I wasn't counting these shows on uh, Judaism that we've done, but uh, yeah, on anyway. Islam. Yeah. Yep, and somebody's saying it seems a little early. Yes, we're going live early today. Lloyd has been getting up at 2 a.m. to do the shows from Warsaw, Poland. So today we're trying to do the show a little bit earlier to give Lloyd a break so we can actually get to bed at a normal time. So uh, hopefully everybody can appreciate that. And um, anyway... So we have a lot to go over. Lloyd has put together a PowerPoint presentation. We'll be showing lots of citations and whatnot on screen. We're going to be showing how Ryan Dawson, Adam Green, uh, uh, Jesse Spotswood, Moorfield, uh, Brendan O'Connell, et cetera, how they're full of crap, how they just keep pounding this uh, one narrative because it's the accepted narrative and they don't actually – fact check uh what they're discussing they're full of crap so this is going to be a tour into the financial actual financial records of the lobbying groups uh, apac etc who funds what how much all of that good stuff so anyway lloyd take it away all right so yeah in various discussions on youtube and social media we were told to follow the money we were told the jews have unlimited money Israel has unlimited money. And one fact that got pounded home and the idiots who kept saying this will know who they are. They're the ones who said the Muslims have no money. The Muslims have no power. The Muslims have no influence. So I decided to, to look into that and see how true that was. Um, let's just say the findings are it's not true. Well, so what they what they want us to believe typically typically is that Muslims are just brown people with box cutters who live in caves, and they're extremely stupid. And then that's the extent of it. They don't they couldn't possibly be a threat. And you know the yeah. only the only thing you should talk about is the Jews twenty four seven and nothing but the Jews. Right. So yeah, uh, what I've done is I prepared quite a detailed presentation on this. Uh, the link has been made available. It's in the comments. It's in the description. You can download it. You can look at it. Um, yeah, and you can see the facts for yourselves. You can show it to others. And it refutes everything that um, all of these pro-Islamic 
pundits have been saying online. And um, what's interesting is that the comments coming from people like Arab Green and Riyad Dawson are very much in line with the Arab Islamic lobby. People talk about the Jewish Israeli lobby, but people don't realize there's actually a very, very powerful, very wealthy Arab Islamic lobby. And the comments coming from, uh, as I said, our pro-Islamic friends online are very much in line with that lobby, which I'll leave that open. I'll just leave that hanging. So yeah, anything you want to mention before we start? Yeah, otherwise I'll just begin. I'll bring up the presentation and we can begin. Well, you know, I mean, handsome lies and all of these people repeat the same exact talking points. And it's a laundry list of points. And we started realizing, what, six or eight months ago that these talking points were exactly in line with Nazism and with Islam. And so it became, it became blatantly obvious, and the more we've delved into this area, the more we've found that they are actually quite literally using the Islamic lobbyist talking points at all. Yeah, what I find amazing is that these guys must think that the Islamic jihadis, the KKK and the Nazis are the good guys. Because these people literally repeat word for word the same argument. How are you the good guy? Right. Well, and another point to that is they they all have to assume and believe that their audiences are extremely stupid and naive and will never chatten away with this. All of these guys have gotten away with this and nobody has fact-checked them. So now, you know, now we're actually going to show the numbers to show how yeah. all of these people are blatant liars and they're duping their audiences into believing, you know, bullcrap. And I fell for this same rhetoric in the past, but, you know, that's when all of these different hosts and whatnot started going crazy because we began questioning the official narrative. Hey, Justin, it's good to see you. Hey, Justin. Well, look, um, true. Either these people are incompetent or they've duped themselves or they're lying because how do they all get it wrong? I've been looking at the numbers. We've been working on the numbers for a month or so. The numbers do not support anything. The data does not support what they say. These are hard, cold, hard numbers, right? Cold, hard cash. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's more, but we'll, we'll, we'll fix it well. Today, we're going to have a look at the Islamic lobby, um, which would be the rival to the supposed Israeli Jewish lobby. But let's get into that. So... Um, yeah, the, the, the slideshow that I have is over 50 slides. It could have easily been more, but I had to cut it off somewhere. So let me begin. Um, I'm going to share my screen, Jan. And that's the screen. Let me just let me know if the screen is... I shared my second screen. Is that is that yep. visible? Yep, it's visible now. Okay. So let me... Okay, you can see that full screen? Yep. Okay, so today, my presentation is about the Islamic lobby. And as you can see from the title, it is invisible, doesn't get discussed, it is extremely powerful, and it is very, very wealthy. It has a lot more money than Israel has. Let's be very blunt. We're going to talk about that. So the Islamic lobby undermines U.S. interests. It has its own interests, and it actually go, works against U.S. interests. It influences U.S. foreign policy, and it works towards the destruction of Israel. That's one of their positions. And also it promotes hatred and demonization of the Jews, as well as it works to promote Islam and Sharia 
in America. Right, so these are some of the aims. Now we don't have time to go into depth into all of these things, but let's continue. So have a look at this quote. So in our culture, we have a saying, in the West, we have a saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. However, our enemies say something different. In their culture, they say, do not let your enemy know he's your enemy. It's a very different set of ideas. It's a very different approach. It is incredibly dishonest. So keep that in mind. They believe, do not let your enemy know he's your enemy. Think about that as we go forward. Okay, so why is there no discussion of this very powerful, very wealthy lobby that competes with the Israeli lobby? Why do we not discuss the Islamic lobby? Well, it's because of two men in a book. So John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt wrote The Israel Lobby and U.S. Foreign Policy. Very popular book, big bestseller. And they created the prevailing narrative. So this narrative is that there's an all-powerful Israeli lobby that controls the U.S. Middle East policy and conspiratorially controls the U.S. itself. This is the book that hatched that whole idea, this narrative that is pushed by guys like Arab Green, Riyadh Dawson, Handsome Twat, and others. So now, interestingly, this book ignored the existence of a rival, of a rival Arab, Arab Islamic Arab-Islamic interests. Sorry, I'm very tired tonight. And coincidentally, the truth community also ignores Arab-Islamic interests. Is this a coincidence? Well, this book portrayed the Arabs as impotent, unable to affect their own fate or to influence U.S. actions. This is the poor Arabs have no power talking point. They have no money. The Jews have all the money. The Jews have all the power. The Jews are blah, blah. And the Arabs that, are the poor victims of everyone else. Correct. So this book is the source of that talking point. So it is also the origin of the Jews control the government talking point, which actually does serve and benefit the Arab lobby. And what we do learn as we go is that the Islamic money promotes this narrative cloaked as pro-Palestinian. The thing is, are they really pro-Palestinian or are they anti-Israeli? Because we'll find that they really are anti-Israeli. So here's my question, though. How did the online, quote unquote, truth community all become apologists for Islam and push the Arab lobby line? How did they all start pushing Arab lobby propaganda? And, you know, and this is why I've never allied with the so-called truth community or the truth movement, because it's not a bowel movement. Truth comes by studying individual facts and looking things up and verifying them. It's not, you know, like everyone going to the bathroom all at once or something like that. It's not a, a bowel movement. It's not, you know, uh, truth is something that's attained through research, through grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and processing the information and verifying facts. It's not, you know, a bunch of morons regurgitating the same talking points and then attacking anyone who questions those, uh, you know, those, those talking points. Yeah. It's not about feelings. Look, we do say that facts don't care about your feelings, but sadly feelings also don't care about your facts. Correct. So typical example from social media, this is the talking point. Israel's population. This I took off Facebook verbatim, verbatim. 
Israel's population of just 8 million people comprises about 0.001% of the global population is the cause of 99% of the conflicts that have occurred since 9-11. The Israeli government through APAC and other Israeli lobbies have a stranglehold. Um, that's some really interesting NLP there, Jan. You might be able to comment on that again, but APAC has a stranglehold. That is purely just a reframing because stranglehold actually just means they are very popular amongst Americans. Right. It just means Israel is very popular. Well, and, among- and we even saw uh, Ilmar, uh, or what's her name? Omar. Ilhan Omar. Uh, come out regurgitating this same crap uh, recently yeah. to cover up her own agenda. You know, and ironically, she just got caught in an affair this last week. And so, yeah. you know, by Sharia <laughs> law, she needs to be what stoned, are they? To death. stoned to death. Right. So, you know, I mean, you know, so what are we going to do about that? I guess the United States is going to have to have its first uh, stoning in stoning. You know, yeah. three, it's just three, four there, centuries. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, she wants Sharia, so we have to, you know, uh, concede her own her own will to her. Hey, look, I mean, whatever. So it's just a reframe, right? They're very popular. They're just trying to reframe popularity as a stranglehold to give it a negative connotation instead. So they have a stranglehold on all branches and levels of the American government. Controlled ninety six percent of six major Western news. Whatever that sentence doesn't even make sense. Totally controls U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East and elsewhere. That's it, not it, a you know, it's it's funny that you had just posted that right when you uh, put that on the screen. Somebody in the uh, in the chat uh, quoted a fake Alan Dershowitz quotes. We quote: "We run the banks and we run Hollywood and ninety nine percent of the media and major universities." So last time you were on, we showed how Islam <laughs> the universities I- right Islam funds and controls the universities and now we're showing how they control the lobbying and we haven't gotten to the media yet but we've shown how each of these points that these people re- you know just thoughtlessly regurgitate and lap up like you know dogs to vomit yeah. are are just complete crap and so it makes we're me wonder to- it makes me wonder what Alan Dershowitz you know and see these people what they do is they go by a last name, and these people could be Sabbatean Jews or whatever, which are actually crypto Islamists. But you know, it's they go or or atheists for that matter, and they go by a last name, and therefore it's proven fact that the Jews do everything. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we're going to see that 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 story is false. So through collusion between government and media, collectively, Israel has grossly influenced the hearts and brainwashed minds of the Western world. Well, then, um, unfortunately. Islam has grossly influenced the hearts and brainwashed minds of the Arabic world by spewing out anti-Israel propaganda and pro-Islamic propaganda on a daily basis. Well, what that through collusion between government and media, in other words, because they're popular, right? So with 22 trillion debt and 6 trillion spent on war since 9-11, do you feel you're getting max whack for your buck? I don't. So quick facts, fact check. Since 9-11, there have been. So what is that about Israel has responsible for 99% of the conflicts since 9-11? Let's have a look. So I went and actually counted. I physically counted the numbers today. Since 9-11, there have been 35,570 recorded Islamic jihad attacks. The number is higher yeah, However, and, and just since uh, just since 2015, there have been 85,000 murders. Let me get to that. Let me get right. to that. Yeah. So the number is actually higher than this, but because this number doesn't record every single instance, but 
the verified ones are 35,570 recorded Islamic Jihad terror attacks since 9-11. In 2019, in 45 countries, there have been 1,193 Islamic terror attacks, murdering 6,805 people and injuring 7,500 up to the 30th of August 2019. That's three days ago. Right, 2018, just under 2,000 attacks in 55 countries with just under 12,000 murdered and 11,500 injured. 2017, over 2,000 attacks in 61 countries, 16,387 murdered, 14,300 injured. 2016, 2,500 attacks, 59 countries, 21,413 murdered, 26,700 injured. 2015, 2,890 attacks in 53 countries, 27,000 murdered, 26,000 injured. That's 84,028 terrorist murders in 10,610 Islamic terror attacks since 2015. And that's up to the 30th of August. Oh, but but wait a second. They're victims. Oh, or, uh, or, or they're just fighting back at, you know. No, they're perpetrators. Oh, absolutely they are. But, I mean, that's just so, the official liberal narrative. So now the Arab lobby has operated on scene. There's no visible public HQ like APAC. Now, it should be noted, APAC is an American lobby. It's a domestic lobby. It is not foreign money. It is loyal, patriotic Americans who support Israel, who support the Jewish cause for religious and other reasons, and they fund money to support Israel. It is not a foreign lobby. It's an American lobby. It's your neighbors who are funding APAC. APAC is not taking money from outside. APAC is money from inside America, from Americans to help Israel. Now, the Arab lobby operates by stealth. It is barely known to the public and not discussed. Now, the policy is deny everything. James Zogby, he wrote in 1982, there is no Arab lobby. Again, deny everything. DePaul University political science professor Khalil Marar, he contacted Arab American organizations for interviews for research on the Arab lobby, and he was told there's no Arab lobby in Washington, D.C. Yet, the Arab lobby is older than the Israeli lobby. It goes back to the Arab National League of America in the 1930s. Israel was only formed in 1948. So this is like 16 years before Israel was founded. There was an Arab lobby in the U.S. In 1951, King Saud of Saudi Arabia asked the U.S. Well, the U.S. government to finance a pro-Arab lobby to counter the pro-Israel lobby. The CAA obliged him. So James Zogby, let's have a little bit of a closer look. James Zogby is the founder, the president of the Arab American Institute and the author of the book Arab Voices. The mission of the Arab American Institute was to nurture and encourage the direct participation of Arab Americans in political and civic life in the United States. They represent the policy interests of Arab Americans. They promote, when they say Arab Americans, they mean Islamic. They promote Arab American participation in the U.S. electoral system as voters and as candidates, pushing Sharia. They are the liaison between the Arab American community and major national political parties. And also they have an AAI foundation which combats anti-Arab and anti-Muslim bigotry. In other words, these are Islamophobia merchants. One of the comments I see regularly is that they say, well, Jews have the um, Jewophobia claim, you know, that you're a, um, what's that word, Jan? Islamophobia. Oh, yeah, anti-Semite. And it's claimed, it's claimed that Muslims don't do this and that Islam doesn't do this. Well, they do. Wait, wait, wait a second. I, I've 
Wait, are you saying that there's a term like Islamophobia? Uh, no, there isn't. And no one ever gets sent to jail for leaving bacon at a mosque and then gets murdered in jail for the crime of leaving bacon. That's never happened. No one gets pulled into jail. No one gets visited by police. No one gets slapped into court, given fines and arrested for criticizing Muslims on Twitter. That That's never happened, Jan. except for the dozens and dozens and dozens of times it has, except for those, it never does. No one... Newspapers don't get shot up and have all their staff murdered for criticizing Islam or drawing cartoons of Muhammad. Never happens, except for the times that it has and dozens of people have been killed, except for those occasions. So moving on. Sorry, excuse my sarcasm. So he's a senior advisor to the polling firm Zogby International, and he has a very detailed biography. There's a link in the file. He writes a weekly column in 20 Arab newspapers. He has a weekly call-in discussion program called Viewpoint on Abu Dhabi Television in the UAE. He's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Democratic National Committee. He's part of the Resolutions Committee. And he's the co-founder and chairman of the Palestine Human Rights Campaign in the 70s and co-founder and executive director of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, more Islamophobia merchants. So James Zogby runs an Arab lobbying institute, yet claims there is no Arab lobby. Just thought I should mention that. So in the book that was written that defined the narrative, the role of Arab oil money was ignored. Now, again, the Arab lobby is older than the Israeli lobby. It started with the Arab National League in the 1930s. And also the Arab lobby is a group of 21 Islamic states plus Palestine. It is led and dominated by Saudi. However, it is represented in the U.S. by oil interests, massively powerful oil companies, very wealthy oil companies, defense contractors who need markets for their products, and corporations with commercial interests in the kingdom, in the Saudi kingdom, and the 21 markets that these countries represent. They have a huge amount of buying power, and thus they have versus Israel, for instance, they have a lot more people, so therefore they're a much bigger market, which means they can, they can use that as influence. Also, the Pentagon needs them for weapon sales, A, to protect U.S. interests like Iran and previously the former Soviet threat. And also, with more units in the field and maintenance, the Pentagon can lower the unit cost of weapons systems and also extend their production life. So that is a, is a bonus for them. And also, we have the Palestinian question. Now, these people, they say they are they're lobbying on behalf of Palestinians. But is that true? Because they seem to be lobbying against Israel. And again, there's a link in the spread in the presentation that you can look at where that question is raised in a mosque and they said, no, it's Islamic. It's simply just propaganda. So question, does Israel require military aid? Well, let's see. Israel has peace treaties with only two of its neighbors. And those are Jordan and Egypt. Technically, it is at war with the rest of the Arab world. Iran is openly hostile. So given the risks and threats, Israel must continue to maintain a strong defense. It is outmanned and also outgunned by its enemies. So it relies on a qualitative advantage. It has 177,000 active Israeli troops versus a combined 2.36 million Islamic troops that oppose it. So 177,000 versus 2.36 million. Now, I'm not good at math, but isn't 177,000 bigger than 2.36 million? Um, I mean, that's like what, you know, what... We're... I think 2.36 million is at least double 177,000, if not least, like 12, 
Oh, okay. 13 times larger. So new weapon systems are expensive and Israel cannot afford them on its own, believe it or not. So aid from the U.S. is vital. So Israel's enemies have numerous suppliers, but Israel relies almost entirely on the U.S. to supply it with weapons. Hence, there's this genocidal agenda to destroy the U.S.-Israel relationship. Any comments from you? No. Just okay. nothing, nothing but so, sarcastic ones toward the trolls. So let's look at the top 10 U.S. weapons clients. Israel is number one. No, sorry, it's Saudi Arabia. Let's have a look. Saudi Arabia is America's number one weapons customer. You can, you can go now, through. Now, that's can, a problem. Why are we supplying our Arabic enemies or Islamic enemies with weapons? You know, and that's a question that comes up often. That's a question. You tell me. Let's have a look. The USA's biggest arms exporters. So okay, let's see. wait. So, so you're saying that uh, Israel is not number one? Wait a second. Israel's not even in the top ten. <laughs> Israel is not even in the top. But, you know, and we also sell to the United Kingdom. I mean, we used to be subjugated by them. They're a a strong enemy. So have a look at this. There are four Islamic countries in the top 10 in terms of U.S. arms export partners. Saudi Arabia is number one. It's twice as big as the nearest partner, which is Australia. But then you've got the UAE at just under 7 billion. You've got Saudi. Well, so these numbers vary, right? I mean, there have been sales of like, like 30s. 48, 50 billion to these countries. But but let's look. I mean, so 2009 to 2018, I think in a million TIV, who knows what these trend indicator values. So anyway, Saudi Arabia is twice as big as the, as the nearest partner. UAE is third. Iraq is fifth. And then Turkey, right? And um, yeah, you have Japan, Taiwan, and the UK. Israel doesn't even appear in the top 10. They're not even near that. And from 2009 to 2018, the biggest arms export receiver from the U.S., was Saudi Arabia, nine years in a row. So that they can kill and subjugate, uh, you know, people who question the royal Saudi family, etc. So now the Israeli lobby actually reflects the will of the Americans. For instance, let's go back in 1974, the Joint Chiefs Chairman, General George Brown, attacked the Jewish lobby, and he criticized the Jewish ownership of banks and newspapers. So at that time, a Democratic Senator, Thomas McIntyre, member of the Armed Services Committee, acknowledged the influence of the Israeli lobby, and he said that it reflects the will of a strong majority of Americans. It does. And then he said, what about the oil lobby? He asked, the influence of big oil is far more insidious and far more pervasive than the influence of the Jewish lobby for oil and influence seep across ideological as well as party lines without public approval or support. So think about it. You have these 21 countries in the Arab lobby You've got the major oil producers and exporters, and everybody wants a slice of that pie. It's a very, very lucrative business. Israel has no oil. He said the Jewish lobby isn't in the same league with the general's own lobby, the Pentagon and the defense establishment, who want to sell weapons to these 21 countries who have a lot more buying clout than does one tiny little Israel. I know the theories Israel has unlimited money, but no, that is not the case. The figures, nowhere do the figures prove that the data absolutely says that these people are lying to you. So the Arab lobby has worldwide reach. So since the establishment of Israel in 48, the Arab lobby, basically an anti-Israel lobby, has grown, has grown to include defense contractors, former government officials who are employed by all 21 Arab states. These are Americans and UK citizens, European citizens, employed by 21 Arab states to lobby, buy, and sell on their behalf. These are corporations with business interests in the Middle East. NGOs, hello, George Soros, 
the United Nations resolutions ad nauseum. Okay, I'll skip the UN stuff. That's that's a good good grief. Academics, particularly from Islam-funded university Middle East studies departments. We're going to get into that in this talk. Israel haters and a significant percentage of media and cultural cultural elite basically toe the Arab lobby line. And of course, you've got Christian anti-Jewish, anti-Israel groups who cloak themselves as anti-Zionists. And then you've got leaders and diplomats from all these governments. And of course, the OIC. We're not here to go into detail on those, but I will cover some of them in detail as we go. The Arab lobby has no popular support. It doesn't. That's why they need to use propaganda and money to buy people. Any comment? Well, that's uh, blatantly obvious. I mean, uh, you know, but th here's the thing is you have people like you say arab green and uh you know ria dawson and and uh brendan o'connell all of these uh handsome twat all of these people uh who are out there spreading as much pro islamic propaganda that they can while claiming that everything is the jews and that's the big cover-up well we're gonna get once we get to the numbers and the graphs and the charts we'll see that so the Arab lobby has worked to influence U.S. policy for 90 years. Okay, It lobbies directly and it pays people to, uh, to buy their loyalty. The Bush family, that's the George Bush and Sons family, earned at least $1.47 billion from Saudi Arabia. Right, The Clinton family has made tens of millions of dollars. And that, Robin, and by the way, this, the Saudi government was funding the, uh, the, the Clinton... Uh, We'll get to that, yeah. Foundation, yeah, okay. We'll get to that. And then indirectly, they also manipulate the media. They propagandize the American educational system to the detriment of national interests in the U.S. See our Muslim Brotherhood Part 2 propaganda and funding episode, but we're going to cover that here as well. And they've sunk more than $2.5 billion into American universities for Islamic Dawah since 2011. And also they've placed the agents... The Saudis have placed their agents into the U.S. government. Uh, the, the last episode I did, again, Muslim Brotherhood Part 2, Propaganda and Funding, Huma Abedin, her family works directly for, let me actually bring that up. I will, I'm going to load the file here. So Huma Abedin's family shares an office with the Muslim World League. The Muslim World League is Saudi Arabia's government agency that spreads Islamic Dawah, their uh, Salafi doctrine, as um, uh, what is the name of their their, their, their particular brand? Um, oh, for some reason, it slipped my mind. The Salafists, they are um, their their particular brand of Islam, Wahhabism. Sorry, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. So the Muslim World League is a basically spreads Wahhabism. Huma Abedin has worked for the same well. Her father and the Muslim World League set that set up a business in the same office, which was funded by the head of the Muslim World League, and her family still works for them. She worked for them in the past, and the Muslim World League owns their company. The Muslim World League spreads Wahhabis, Wahhabist doctrine. Huma Abedin worked for them. Her family still works for them. She is a Saudi agent. Her job is Islamic Dawah, and yet she's a member of the U.S. government. Explain that. Okay, so Americans are generally pro-Israel. If we look at the, uh, the, if we look here at the stats, we'll see that Arabs are not very popular. Okay, U.S. policy is pro-Israel because Americans are pro-Israel, not because of APAC. 
Okay, it's not because of APAC. It's simply because Israel is popular. Okay, American sympathies for Israel match in all time high. It's not because of propaganda. It is it's purely because they have freedom of speech. They have, you know, they don't stone uh, women to women death for death. adultery, etc. So. Uh, yeah, women can drive. Muslims in Arab in, in in Israel have more rights than they do in Arab countries, and um, so this is the structure of the Arab lobby. Just basically, so you've got the Saudi lobby, which is really the big one: the oil industry, defense contractors, academics, former government officials, Arab Americans, large groups of them, and Islamic groups, Christians, and of course the Arab domestic lobby. So, okay, so Muslims have no money and power. So from this interview, we'll be we'll be touching on this on occasion. In 2017, the Arab lobby contacted every single senator who are on the appropriations committees, the foreign affairs committees, and the armed services committees multiple times, right? So all of those who are directly making decisions about whether or not arms deals, multi-billion dollar arms deals are going to go through with the government. On the other side of it is a massive public relations campaign. And that's very much focused on pushing Saudi Arabia's reform agenda, basically cleaning up their image. Now, I get called a Hasbara troll, but people somehow don't speak about Dawa trolls because Saudi Arabia is doing a lot of Dawa trolling and portraying them as a valuable ally within the Middle East. Okay, fine. So now let's start looking. The Arab lobby in America and influence over the US. Okay, the Arab lobby is one of the strongest in America, even stronger than Israel's. Okay, and that's Alan Dershowitz and how Arab governments influence US politics. It's time to silence the Saudi lobbying machine in Washington. You can look these articles up and read them for yourself. So firms registered under the Foreign Agents Registration Act reported receiving more than 40 million from Saudi Arabia in 2017 and 2018. Saudi lobbyists have contacted Congress, the executive branch, media outlets, and think tanks more than 4,000 times. Okay, they must be doing it for some reason. Saudi Arabia has amassed one of the largest and well-funded influence operations in the United States. It is pumping cash into think tanks and elite American universities across the nation. Okay, report says Saudi Arabia hired lobbyists and give millions to influence U.S. Congress. A Saudi prosecutor, so here we go. The Saudis have poured money into lobbying for decades. What makes the U.S.-Saudi relationship so special? Weapons, oil, and an army of lobbyists. Okay, and this, so despite the killing of Adnan Khashoggi, or Khashoggi, the lucrative relationship is unlikely to die anytime soon. Now, lots of people lost their marbles over Adnan Khashoggi being killed in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. However, he was a Muslim Brotherhood asset. And they are antithetical to the Saudi government. And of course, the Saudis killed him. Now, but we'll get more into that. The Royal Touch, the Saudi lobby juggernaut, salon.com. That's a leftist magazine. Lots of these are actually taken from leftist articles. Leftist, um, Khashoggi is a shining, so diplomatic crisis spotlights Saudi Arabia spending in Washington. Why does Arab Green not talk about this? I wonder. Khashoggi is shining a spotlight on how integral the country and its cash have become to Washington with lobbying firms, think tanks, and investors. The Saudis have exerted influence in Washington for decades, millions on lobbying firms, the high-powered, okay. Also sending high-powered members of the royal family to serve as ambassadors and, and social figures. Doled out cash to think tanks, media organizations, and so on. Saudi Arabian lobbyists have many friends in DC. The Saudi government and affiliates have spent millions of dollars on the US law, lobby, and public public relations firms to raise the country's visibility in the U.S. 
and before the United Nations, how much Saudi Arabia spends to influence public opinion. The Khashoggi outcry may spur Saudis to step up their already powerful lobbying. So far, I'm not seeing any articles that talk about how they have no power, but we'll, we'll get more specifically into this. Saudi lobbying in the US has tripled since Trump took office. Part of that is that countries tend to spend more when relationships sour in Washington. The reason they're having to spend more is that obviously Trump is not that friendly towards them, so they're having to work a lot harder. Saudi lobbying in the U.S. tripled during Trump's first year in office. They spent $27 million on lobbying in 2017. Now, notice the conflicting numbers already that have come up because the numbers that are reported are not accurate. Unfortunately, the FARA agency that records the lobbying numbers doesn't keep proper numbers. Oddly enough, with Israel, you've got accurate, consistent numbers. With Saudi, you do not. We'll talk more about that as we go. Notice, they have no power. So House of Bush, House of Saud. Two days after 9-11, U.S. air traffic was very heavily restricted. 140 Saudis, these were Saudi royals and family of Osama bin Laden, were permitted to leave the U.S. and thus escaped questioning by U.S. intelligence. All the answers, everything needed to dismantle Osama bin Laden's organization can be found in Saudi Arabia. John O'Neill, FBI counter-terror expert and the head of security at the World Trade Center who died there. In the 1970s, the oil-rich House of Saud began courting American politicians in a bid for military protection, influence, and investment. With the Bush family, they hit a gusher. Any comments or questions from you, Ian? No. Okay, so let's look at Bush-Saudi business ties just in brief. We're going to gloss over these, but Saudi investment in the Carlyle Group, the private equity firm whose rainmakers include George Bush Sr., who was a former CIA director, then we've got Saudi Prince Bandar, nicknamed Bandar Bush, who was ambassador to the U.S. from 1983 to 2005. It's 22 years. And he's the former head of Saudi intelligence. No, oddly enough, he was promoted to head of Saudi intelligence after 9-11. He donated a million dollars to the GHW Bush Presidential Library. Bandar Bush, his father was Saudi defense minister. He's close friend with the elder Bush for more than 20 years. They went hunting and fishing together. And... Um, President Bush wrote, you're my friend for life. He wrote, you know, in 1992, I feel like you're one of my family. You're like one of our own. And also they gave lucrative contracts to Halliburton when Dick Cheney was CEO. And of course, the main law firm retained by the Saudis to defend them against the 9-11 families court case, which is now that the 9-11 families are suing Saudi for their role in 9-11 is Baker Botts, which is the James Baker firm which is the Bush family advisor and counsel. And here's the question in Salon again. Did the Saudis buy a president? Money has flowed from the House of Saud to the Bush family, at least $1.47 If the Saudis had been happy with the presidency of George H.W. Bush, and they were, they must have been ecstatic because of George Bush. So the relationship between the two dynasties had come a long way. Let's have a brief look at Prince Bandar bin Sultan, known as Bandar Bush. Nelson Mandela spoke very well of him. So he's the nephew of former King Fahd bin Abdulaziz al Saud of Saudi Arabia. He has a private jet which has landing rights at RAF Bryce Norton Base, which is the largest Royal Air Force base in the UK. He has no influence, no political power, clearly no money, because he can't afford to park his plane at a regular airport. So he only parks it at a military base. Let's see. This is Bandar Bush. Right? This is him with um, Tony Blair. 
This is a photograph with an inscription from George Bush written on it. It was a terrific fight, but you managed to land this giant fight. You know, congratulations, ambassador and friend. And that's from George Bush to Bandar Bush. That would be in the 80s. Yeah, of course, uh, Bush Sr. was another DCI head of the CIA, so that's very telling. I mean, the CIA is constantly tied in with these Islamic agendas. Yeah. So there's Bandar Bush and George Bush again in much more recent times. That's him with Nelson Mandela. He's no money, no influence, no friends. Him and Putin, that's him and uh, George H.W. Bush again. That's him and Putin again. So this man has influence. He has clout. So he has personal relationships with the leaders of Russia, China, Syria, Great Britain, Great, Great Britain and others, right? And he's also Saudi Arabia's most famous arms dealer. Is the former ambassador to the U.S., the former head of Saudi intelligence, and he was recently detained as part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's so-called corruption purge. He bought an entire village in the Cotswolds, which is an area in Oxfordshire in England, and he bought a two and a half thousand acre estate with the proceeds from kickbacks he received in an arms deal, which netted British manufacturer BAE fifty-six and a half billion dollars in contracts. So he made at least $30 million on that, okay? But yet the case was dropped in the UK in 2006 after an intervention by Prime Minister Tony Blair. Rather, there was a case against him in the UK in 2006, but Tony Blair stepped in and made the case go away. So clearly he's got no money, no power, no friends, no influence. So last year, survivors of the 9-11 attacks wrote to British Prime Minister Theresa May urging her to make public a British government report into the extent of Saudi Arabia's funding of Islamic extremism in the UK, because this was material evidence which would be useful in the trial, in the 9-11 families trial. And of course, the government refuses, the UK government refuses to release the report on Islamic extremism. And the Home Secretary accused of putting our so-called friendship with Saudi Arabia above our values as Brits, as she cites national security for keeping invest in the investigation secret. So the UK government has stepped forward to protect Saudi Arabia. The UK government has stepped forward to protect Bandar. So Labour Friends of Saudi Arabia, that's the Labour Party, Friends of Saudi Arabia, says critics are Islamophobes. I thought there was only the case of um, anti-Semitism, but no. So apparently anyone who criticizes Saudi Arabia are Islamophobes. Labour Friends of Saudi Arabia accuse the critics of the theocratic dictatorship of Islamophobes. So interesting that they've got clout in very interesting places. So given the evidence so far, are you sure that the Arabs and Muslims have no political influence as we are told by commentators? I'll pause there for a moment. Yeah, I mean, it must be true that APAC and Israel are the true power. I mean, you know, and all of these uh, super Jews, you know, um, yeah. because, you know, with all of the power that all of these conspiracy liars in the so-called truth movement put out there the jews must be you know superhuman uh, people and you know yeah. how, how much of the population are they 0.001 percent or whatever and yeah. they have so much more these four and a half to or 14 and a half to 16 million jews must be superheroes to be able to dominate 1.4 to 1.8 billion uh muslims i mean that yeah. that seems clear they are absolute superpowers uh superheroes whatever they would they would have to be 
14 and a half million uh, Superman, you know, and maybe Batman, Robin, uh, Spider-Man, etc. So the narrative makes a lovely story, but it makes very poor facts. So here's the Prince, uh, here's the Saudi King with uh, George Bush. And here's George Bush Jr. with the Saudi King. That's them again and again, again, again. Clearly no relationship, clearly no close ties, clearly they aren't friends. The only whole, oh, that was a mistake, but yeah, whatever, that guy. Oh, you mean, so, uh, what's what's uh, Barack Hussein Obama's name mean again? So interesting. So Barack is an Islamic name. I know everyone focused on Hussein, but Barack is actually an Islamic name. It means blessed. And Hussein means, uh, what is the meaning of Hussein? It means um, handsome or good or beautiful. So Barack and then, Hussein. And then what was Obama? I can't remember, but Barack Hussein are both Arab Islamic names. But wait, he, he went to a church using Takia, so therefore he must be Christian. Yeah, but both his fathers were Muslim, and both, he grew up in a mosque. So he attended mosque, and he attended the Islamic madrasa. So. And there's fo- photos of him wearing uh, Islamic uh, yeah, garb, yeah, too. correct. So at least 1.47 billion went from the Saudis to Bush. Now, notice it says in this article, never before in history has a presidential candidate, much less a presidential candidate and his father, a former president, and CIA director, been so closely tied financially and personally to the ruling family of another foreign power. Never before had a president's president's personal fortunes and public policies been so deeply entwined with another nation. Now, I'm assuming that that, um, all these guys who talked to me about the Muslims have no power and Ryan Dawson, sorry, Arab, Riyadh Dawson and Arab Green just forgot and overlooked this just as a coincidence, just, just coincidence. So, I mean, are they this close with uh, Netanyahu? Don't think so. Are they busy holding hands and marching around the garden? No, I don't think so. So, foreign interest spending. Okay, this is investment from foreign investors in lobbying in the U.S. Is Israel number one? Let's find out. So, foreign interests have spent over $530 million influencing U.S. policy and public opinion since 2017. The number one spender since 2017 at $70.5 million is... Ladies and gentlemen, I give you South Korea. The number two spender with 51.4 million since 2017 is Japan. And the overblown claims against the Israeli Jewish lobbying and spending are just that, overblown. So let's have a look. East Asian lobbying, about $3 out of every $10 spent on foreign lobbying in the US originates from East Asian countries, specifically South Korea, Japan, China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. These five countries spend a combined $158.2 million since 2017, which is nearly half of the remaining $374 million spent by the remaining 128 countries. So these five, these five countries outspend the remaining 128. The South Korean government has spent $54.2 million since 2018 on U.S. lobbying, ranking first amongst foreign principles. So they, they, they have separations between foreign principles like an individual, a group, or a government, and so on. They have different categories. So let's have a look. The top 10, 10 countries by spending since 2017. You have South Korea 
as number one, the UAE at number three, the Cayman Islands, Saudi Arabia. Now notice you've got Saudi Arabia and the UAE in the top 10. Now we know that because they're part of the Arab lobby, they work together. So you have to combine their totals. Once you combine their totals, they are very near to number one. Israel is at number four, as we can see. Now, with the Cayman Islands, the question is how much of this is Saudi money? Because there are certain countries, Cayman Islands, Bermuda, Luxembourg, Belgium, where they have funds and no one really knows who's in those funds. And those funds are used um, for lobbying purposes, but they're not direct, unfortunately. So, so yeah, there are certain countries where, where, where dirty money goes. And uh, Cayman Islands happens to be one of them. Now, notice the top 10 foreign principles by spending 2017, 2018. You've got government of Qatar, government of Abu Dhabi, which is the UAE, government of Saudi Arabia, and government of the Cayman Islands. Notice that Israel has the first 10 spots. Israel is number one. To, no, it's not. It's not even in the top 10. Oops. How did they not get in there? I thought they were number one. Everyone was screaming about it. So, no, you have the government of Beijing. You have the Marshall, the Marshall Islands. Seriously, the Marshall Islands are up there at number four or five. Island, tourism island, number three. Biggest spender. In the, and the question is, of the Cayman Islands, even of the Marshall Islands, even in Ireland, because a lot of black money gets laundered through that, how much of this is Saudi money? And okay, there's, there, I mean, there's no way to even know that unless we were able to dig through those bank accounts to uh, yeah, see, but, you know. How does tourism island spend more than Israel does? <laughs> Good grief. I thought, you know, you'd think that the top 10 places were all taken by Israel. But anyway, then it's not. It's not even in the top 10. Okay, so the top lobby groups. Let's look at this. Seven of the top 20 registrants are trade or tourism related. 69 firms earn $73 million through foreign contracts. The number one firm, okay, a quarter of that income went to Aiken, Gum, Strauss, Aaron, Feld. And their top client for 2018 was the United Arab Emirates. Podesta Group was number two. Now, in 2018, the Podesta Group wound down its business because the firm dissolved foreign scrutiny investigation over their foreign lobbying activities, potentially illegal foreign lobbying activities. And you can see that they were number two in this list. Okay. And these guys, oddly enough, were very, very tight with Saudi Arabia. So if you look at that article, you'll find they had a direct link to the Saudi Royal Court. Podesta worked directly for the Saudi Royal Court. And what's interesting is that Tony Podesta was a registered foreign agent on the Saudi payroll, right? And the Saudis were hiring lobbyists and PR experts like crazy. John Podesta, his brother, chaired Hillary's presidential campaign. So who is Tony Podesta? Russia probe investigating brother of Hillary Clinton campaign chair. And there's old Mueller. And that was in Newsweek. So you tell me, dirty, clean. Tony Podesta personally managed the Saudi lobbying account and they received $140,000 a month from the Saudi government. John Podesta also served as President Bill Clinton's chief of staff. So he might've had a few connections. You never know. You can see that he's chief of staff. That's in the archive of the website. And he was a counselor to President Obama, and he founded a think tank that pushes Saudi Arabian propaganda. Okay, that's the Center for American Progress. So he was chief of staff to Bill Clinton and counselor to Barack Obama. Let's have a look. Okay, so Saudi Arabia's influence network in Washington. Let's look at Hillary Clinton a little bit. 
So the Clinton Foundation has taken tens of millions of dollars from countries that the State Department criticized for their records on sex discrimination and other human rights issues. Hillary had no problem with that. These countries include Saudi, the UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Oman, Brunei, and Algeria. As we know, Brunei had to step down from their plans to stone people to death because of international gays outcry. and transgenders, yeah, and adulterers with two and children, right? Hands cut off, feet cut off for theft and so on. Yeah, they had to step back from that apparently because of an international outcry, and that was based strictly, as they said, on the Quran and Sharia. Saudi Arabia has been a generous benefactor. We know they've given at least $25 million to the Clinton Foundation. A million more was donated by the Friends of Saudi Arabia, right, which was founded with a Saudi crown prince. And he was Saudi deputy minister of foreign affairs and third son of the former king. So, yeah. And then Saudi Arabia, this is from the current king of Saudi Arabia. He stated in a Jordan newspaper that Saudi Arabia has funded 20% of Hillary's presidential campaign the question earlier was did the saudis buy a president well were they trying to buy another one saudi arabia has funded 20 well, you know and then trump it was you know as a self-made billionaire so he didn't need all of that uh islamic money no the saudis gave trump a whole six thousand dollars six thousand bucks and how much did they give hillary 20 well she spent over a billion dollars in her campaign so they gave her over 200 million well, correct me if I'm wrong, but six thousand is more than two hundred million, right? Um, I mean, if you're about- if you're a liberal like Arab Green and and Jesse Spotswood Morefield and and uh, Rhea Dawson and and you know doing SJW maths, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's a perfect way to put it. SJW math, correct? Where math isn't based on facts and numbers; it's based on emotion. Yeah. So Hillary Clinton. Right, Saudi Arabia and ISIS. What are the connections between these guys? Let's have a look. WikiLeaks has always been a reliable source of information. They've never been proven to be wrong. So Julian Assange tells us ISIS and the Clinton Foundation are both funded by Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Right? So he was interviewed by John Pilgrim in the UK, and he said ISIS is created largely with money from people who are giving money to the Clinton Foundation. And Assange said yes. Now, the below is an email that was from the WikiLeaks email dump. I have a copy of the original email. We'll come into that in a moment. Um, that WikiLeaks put out. This, this was the Hillary Clinton email dump, the 30,000 emails that they published. And Hillary writes, while this military paramilitary operation is moving forward, we need to use our diplomatic and more traditional intelligence assets to bring pressure on the government of Qatar and Saudi Arabia, which are providing clandestine financial and logistic support to ISIS and other radical Sunni groups in the region. So what does she do? So now notice it says here in this email as well from this WikiLeaks post, Qataris and Saudis have an ongoing competition to dominate the Sunni world. They're busy fighting it out as to who is going to influence the Sunni world. Blood money. Notice how Qatar bought off the entire DC establishment. Seems like they have some money to do some buying of politicians. I don't know. So Khashoggi, a Saudi author who penned opinion columns in the Washington Post, he's Muslim Brotherhood. He's known to be Muslim Brotherhood. He's a Saudi Muslim Brotherhood agent who penned opinion columns in the Washington Post that were favorable to the Muslim Brotherhood, was a Qatari asset. He was a Qatari agent. Moving on. So WikiLeaks revealed 
that Hillary said in 2009, more needs to be done since Saudi Arabia remains a critical financial support base for Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, Lashkar-e Taiba, and other terror groups. So what did she do? She authorized the sale of enormous quantities of weapons to them. And on Christmas Eve in 2011, they celebrated that huge celebration because they just sold $30 billion of F-15 fighter jets, 80 of them, manufactured by Boeing to Saudi. Coincidentally, Boeing contributed $900,000 to the Clinton Foundation. So why did the Saudi regime and other Gulf attorneys donate millions to the Clinton Foundation? Well, I, for favors, political favors, you know. So U.S. military vets, so the Department of Justice, now this is very interesting. Again, I keep getting told they have no influence, they have no power, while the Department of Justice fails to pursue allegations of Saudi lobbying misconduct. So the 9-11 families, so a Saudi, the Saudis hired a firm, they paid them millions of dollars to get veterans and have these veterans lobby without knowing they were being paid by Saudi Arabia to lobby against the Jastid law, which is the law that allows American families who had, who had lost family in 9-11 to sue the Saudi government and pursue legal action against the Saudi government. So they tricked these people into lobbying on behalf of Saudi Arabia. These were from U.S. military veterans. You can look that up, okay? And, of course, nothing happened, and there's no disclosures. The disclosures were not made. So former FBI agent Kenneth Williams says that the FBI was told not to help 9-11 victims build a case against Saudi Arabia because warm relations with the Saudi kingdom comes first. The word Israel is not in there, but Saudi does appear, oddly enough. And so... Senator Bob Graham said that this is a fundamental assault on the principle of democracy and the FBI's priority was protecting the U.S.-Saudi relationship. Now, Qatar, Mike Cernovich said, and uh, he put out some really good information, all these never-Trump people are on Qatar payroll. So state funding from Qatar, right, was funding an information campaign which was directed at shaping American public opinion the Brookings Institute, and all of the never-Trump people were on the Qatari payroll. Al Jazeera and AJ Plus propagandize Americans every day from a terrorist nation, right? And in 2016, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, held a slot in the top tier of donors as well, right? So in other words, the never-Trump people are being funded by the Islamic Arab lobby. Qatar has been paying top dollar to influence American politics and media in ways that would make Rachel Maddow apoplectic if Qatar was spelled Russia. I mean, Russians spent what, $40,000? These guys are spending like hundreds of millions, but whatever. So in 2013, let's go back in history a little bit. 2013, the Israeli government spent a whopping $1,250 on U.S. lobbying. The Israeli government, now I will say that APAC spent about $3 million that year, but that is U.S. money, domestic lobby. Those are Americans who like Israel who spent money. The Israeli government itself barely spent a cent. The UAE, however, spent $14.2 million lobbying the U.S. government, which is 11,360 times more than Israel spent. And for 2013, these are the top 10 countries that were paying for U.S. influence. If we look here, you will see that's the UE. I lived there for 11 years. Great country. Loved it. But yeah. 
So, any questions or comments from you, Ian? Uh, well, uh, to me, it, on that last slide, it looked like we better start worrying about Canada and Mexico, too. Oh, oh yeah, Canada. Oh, Canada was one of the top spenders. Yeah, one of the big spenders. Well, yeah. then, you know, we're going to be – I don't want to go around saying A, you know. I mean, we should definitely <laughs> fight that. You're right. You're right. Um, you don't. You don't want to say A, A. A. You don't. A. You know, well, and then you'd be a, watching bad movies about – beer and stuff you know you're right bosnia spent more israel didn't even appear in the top well, bosnia is an islamic country so you know i used to i used to John. right yeah. i used to live in former yugoslavia i i made it to the border of bosnia one day but i didn't go in we weren't allowed okay well yeah i don't plan to go there anytime soon but notice these top 10 countries Again, so the story about the overwhelming of money and the dominance of the Israeli lobby just isn't it. The, and, the and, and by the way, we do have a number of uh, Bosnian listeners, uh, so not poking fun at you guys, just making a joke there. Go ahead. Yeah, I, look, I live in Poland. I mean, what the heck? I, 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 you know, and for my Polish listeners, I will speak very slowly and use small words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Justin Lee says, uh, blame Canada. I mean, that's. That's correct. And you know what really bothers me is those flappy heads they have, you know? Yeah. So Hillary Clinton. Okay. So a million dollar payment was made in 2011. Okay. Through the Clinton foundation made by Qatar, right? Along with Saudi, who were the main sources of funding to the jihadis who were trying to overthrow and replace Bashar al-Assad, the Royals. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing about Syria. The Royals from Qatar and Saudi want to pipeline their oil and gas into Europe and displace the other oil and gas giant, Russia, in the world's largest energy market, the EU. Russia and Syria are allies. I didn't, didn't recall seeing that in the news, but hey, whatever. So, um, well, you know, that just goes to prove that Hillary Clinton's not a traitor. I mean, a tra you know, well, I mean, if you're using SJW liberal logic, you know. Yeah, I know, exactly. So a Moscow-based technology initiative funded in part by the Russian government funneled tens of millions of dollars into the Clinton Foundation while Hillary Clinton was serving as Secretary of State. And then, what they, and then what they did was they spun everything against Trump when it's clear that the real Russia collusion was with the Clinton campaign. Yeah, I mean, they made at least, what, $150 million. So, but yeah, that's another story for another day. From Russia with money, how the Clinton cartel in Silicon Valley got filthy rich upgrading the Russian military. Mm, communists in Silicon Valley, who would have thought? Moving on, donations to the Clinton Foundation and a Russian uranium takeover. Oh, this guy donates $31.3 million to the Clinton Foundation. Add that to the other tens of millions plus the $150 million, And soon that adds up to a little bit of money. Saudi influence on Hillary Clinton, sorry. Suspected bribe by Saudi Arabia and Qatar paid to Bill Clinton while Hillary was Secretary of State. Interesting. Clinton Foundation's ties to financiers of terrorism. Saudi has paid more than 20% of the cost of Clinton's presidential campaign. Saudi Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was quoted as saying Sunday in a news report by the Jordanian Petro News Agency. He's currently king of Saudi now. Very, very interesting. So they spent how much money funding Hillary? No money, no influence. Does money buy anything? No, it doesn't. Foreign government. So arms sales are caved by Hillary Clinton's State Department raised questions. So countries that donated to the Clinton Foundation saw a doubling of the amount of arms they were allowed to buy. Saudi Arabia went from $4 billion to $8 billion. 
in 2010 to 2012, okay, including 30 billion worth of fighter jets, and it's gone up since then. Now notice Epstein, $56 million Upper East Side mansion where Epstein allegedly abused girls has photos of Bill Clinton and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Isn't that odd? Let's moving on. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton sent an email to John Podesta, who was then counsel to Barack Obama, and said Saudi Arabia and Qatar are both giving financial and logistical support to the Islamic State. Did she say Israel? No, she didn't. She said Saudi Arabia and Qatar. According, that's according to WikiLeaks. And what's interesting, now, Wiki, WikiLeaks has never been proved wrong, have they? They've never been proven wrong, exactly. Qatar and Saudi Arabia are providing clandestine financial and logistical support to ISIS, and our supposed Mideast allies are funding our terrorist foes. So Saudi and Qatar are funding the enemies of the West. And notice there was a $5 million gift to the Clinton Foundation from Qatar and Saudi over $25 million. So the question from this is that the Clinton Foundation and Clinton knew and Barack Obama knew and the Podesta knew that Qatar and Saudi are financing terrorists, but they took their money anyway. And also, does this kind of money have a major impact on U.S. policy? especially under Clinton, who's taking hundreds of millions from them. So here's one of the original emails. This is an original email from the WikiLeaks. So unclassified U.S. State Department. Okay. And this is, now notice this. I thought that Israel has a special, no, they don't. This. So Cheryl Mills writes to Hillary that with Saudi, we may have different standards. With Saudi Arabia, we have different standards. And then we, the Department of State, the U.S. government, the Department of State and the U.S. government have different standards we apply when it is pushing Saudi. When doing things on behalf of Saudi, they have different standards. And then Hillary Clinton writes back from hrod17 at clintonemail.com, no doubt about that. Saudi is treated with priority. That is from official State Department emails on Hillary's server. Saudi is given special treatment in the U.S. government. Okay, moving on. So FARA funding, right? Foreign funding. So Israel number one on this list at 99 million, but then you've got Saudi and the UAE, and they top 101 million when combined. And then you've got the Marshall Islands over here. So you've got the Marshall Islands, uh, which is these guys here, and they've got $53 million. So that could well be Saudi money. And in fact, who knows how much of this island is Saudi money? Bermuda, come on, Bermuda, another 40 million. How much of that is Saudi money? We don't know, but it may well be, right? So they're ready. So let's have a look. But the top 10 foreign principles, Saudi government is number two. Bermuda is number one somehow. And then Israel falls down to number six. So and the Marshall Islands is in there, in there as well. And the Bahamas. Who knows? So no, Israel is not consistently number one. And in fact, if you combine the Arab lobby spend, it is way, way more. And we're going to get into how much more. So FARA funding. So these are some of the official stats. 23 and a half million, 2017 to 2019, spent by the Israeli government itself. Actual government spending. Okay. And when we look at Saudi, we have 34 million, 23 million. 34 million, except notice the Saudi figures are lacking. There's a lack of reporting. And unfortunately, the law is lax here and they can get away with it. So are there discrepancies? Yes, there are. Okay. 
So Saudi spent 19 million. Now we've seen figures of 30 million, 19 million, 40 million. We've seen different numbers for Saudi, but the act is not well enforced. There's voluntary compliance. And here's what this guy says, and the law is not properly clarified, but when non-governmental witnesses, particularly think tank experts, are asked to testify, they have to disclose foreign funding received within the last two years as it relates to the country they're testifying against or for, right? But of course, because the law is so leaky, they don't have to tell the judge, well, actually, I received $2 million from Saudi, but let me tell you about Saudi Arabia. So unfortunately, these people are being paid by these foreign Arab countries, but they don't disclose it. They're not forced to disclose it. And yet they are giving evidence for or against these countries. That's a major conflict of interest and it's not enforced. So we know that these think tanks who specialize in Middle Eastern policies receive millions of dollars from Saudi, Qatar, and the UAE and they do have an interest, and these fundings go undisclosed, and it's a long-standing practice. So, Saudi lobby juggernaut. We are three quarters done, so I've got about 15 more slides to go, and then we are, we'll be done. So, the Saudi lobby juggernaut. Any questions from Ian before I go on? No. Any questions in the comments that I missed? No. Okay, so lobby to contend with. That's the Saudi lobby. $100 million, okay, to, to improve public perceptions and retain their influence in the U.S. capital, right? They launched the equivalent of a full court press and an aggressive campaign. The Saudis spent $100 million, right, to make sure that they were getting favorable coverage in the U.S., right? This is dollar spend. In 2017, that number tripled to 27.3 million. And that's just a baseline figure for a far larger operation to buy influence in Washington because it does not include considerable sums given to elite universities or to think tanks. Now, we know they've spent roughly $100 million in the last two to three years on lobbying. The thing is that they've spent closer to four or $600 million but in wait, the, wait a second, though. Israel spent twelve hundred dollars in twenty thirteen. Yeah, one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. What did they spend last year? Do you have any idea? Uh, twenty three million. Okay. And Saudi spent about thirty four. <clears throat> so let's have a look. Saudi influence operations. The Saudi agents next door. So Americans, I have a list. I can actually, I can actually sort the list of names. There's about 70 or 80 people on that list, all paid by Saudi Arabia to basically get the 9-11 trial to stop. And they're influencing and lying to Americans to do so. They're undermining a new law that cleared the way for 9-11 families and survivors to sue Saudi Arabia for its support of Al-Qaeda. So Saudi Arabia has spent millions trying to keep 9-11 families and survivors from presenting evidence against the kingdom. The kingdom's campaign to keep evidence of its links to 9-11 out of court has been marked by deceptive premises and misconduct. And of course, no prosecution against them for it. So do they influence US media? Well, yeah, CNN. The network is seriously compromising its journalism in the Gulf states by blurring the line between advertising and journalism, right? And it says here, and that's here, between advertising and editorial, why CNN didn't air its own iRevolution documentary, it was critical of Saudi Arabia. Okay, so CNN bends over for the Saudis. 
Penske Media is silent on a 200 million Saudi investment after Jamal Khashoggi's disappearance. Favorable coverage for Saudi. Billionaire Saudi prince, Fox News co-owner. Fox News co-owner. I thought the Jews on the media, Jan. Uh, that's what I was told. I mean, if I just regurgitate stuff and lick up vomit, that's what we're told to believe, right? Yeah. So Fox News co-owner arrested in Saudi Arabia, corruption track. track if you're down. if you're Adam Green or 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 I mean Arab Green or or uh, Roa Ria Dawson and Riyadh, Dawson, yeah, all these guys. That's what you're. You just repeat yeah. these same talking points. I mean. You know, they don't know. actually have evidence. They have a list. So if we repeat that list, yeah. It's just, yeah so Bintalal regularly appears on CNBC offering investment advice. I guess they have no control in the media. Do they influence well? Bintalal has also invested in U.S. corporate entities, Citigroup, 21st Century Fox, and Twitter, and Apple, amongst others. Notice he used to own more of Twitter than Jack Dorsey. That probably... Just a coincidence. Doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, because I mean, you know, Joe Rogan and Jack Dorsey t- taking down. I mean, going after uh, Jack Dorsey specifically, shutting down any pro-Trump support and any conservative voices. That wouldn't have to do anything at all with the 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 Prince of Saudi oh, Arabia works. owning more of Twitter than him, because you know, I mean, they have to support Hillary just because. You know, that's the SJW agenda, right? Right. The rest of Saudi billionaire Prince shines light on U.S. holdings, Citigroup, Twitter, and Apple. Okay, fine. So what about tech in Silicon Valley? So who is the single biggest investor in U.S. Silicon Valley? It's got to be Israel, right? I mean, because the Jews are super people. They're like Superman. Yeah, well, let's have a look. The kingdom, the Saudi kingdom, is now the single largest investor in U.S. startups. What? But that can be true because Adam Green told me it was it was uh, Israel. Saudi Arabia and, and, and is ugly single... lies. You know, he regurgitates that stuff all the time. Saudi Arabia is the single biggest investor in Silicon Valley. So also the world's but, largest. But, but wait, they they actually gave the first AI uh, human rights in Saudi Arabia. Maybe that has something to do with. Uh, I'm not being sarcastic this time with all yeah, the I money know. pouring into pouring into uh, Silicon Valley and all of the satanic crooks up there. Maybe they've got something in mind for a very smart AI. Who knows? Yeah, I wonder so, if uh, you know former guest of my show that was behind all of the trolling and LARPers and all of that had any connection with that. Hmm. That who knows? Yeah. So the world's biggest IT investment fund called Vision Fund, which is a ninety-three billion dollar fund, is <laughs> received forty-six billion dollars from the Saudis. They control half that fund. They're the single biggest investor. So they own semiconductor companies, Slack, DoorDash, GM. So Saudi puts money into a bunch of things. Okay. And not only that, but UAE-based Mubadala Investment and Saudi Arabia's PID Public Fund also put money in. So you've got so SoftBank's $100 billion investment fund and the Saudis committed $45 billion, according to Wall Street Journal. Okay. So also, JP Morgan and BlackRock have been doing business with Saudi Arabia for years. Okay, so you've got in Silicon Valley, so at that time, that $11 billion that Salman put in since 2016, but now you're looking at a $45 billion investment. So they've put in just under $60 billion in the last three years. 
into um, IT in Silicon Valley. So now let's look about look at Wahhabi indoctrination in U.S. education. Remember earlier, some of the reports said that, well, look, okay, they're spending so much money in lobbying, which is at times slightly less, in, at times more than Israel does, at times significantly more than Israel. But let's see where their money really goes. Because the article stated they're putting money into think tanks and universities. Let's have a look at that. Here's the article. Why is there so much money, in Saudi money, in American universities? So let's have a look. And of course, this article says, our schools get Judas cash, cash to betray the U.S. Okay, they're getting paid to betray the U.S. Let's have a look. So let's follow the money, University Dawa. So what we have is, <clears throat> notice you have Qatar, which has sunk in the last six or seven years, $1.25 billion into American universities. Add that to the $649 billion from Saudi, you have $1.9 billion, which is 35.4 times more than Israel has spent since 2011. Israel has spent a grand total of $53 million here. So between these two countries, you have 1.9 billion. So that's 35 times more than Israel has spent. Now you add Kazakhstan, which has spent more than Israel, and you take Kuwait, which has spent more than Israel. Both of them have spent about $10 million more than Israel. Now you've got 2 billion, 30 million, which is 38 times more than Israel. Now you add the UAE, which has spent $231 million in Dawa funding. That is religious indoctrination funding in American universities. That puts us at $2.261 billion, which is 42 times more than Israel has spent in the same period. And now when you add all the other Islamic countries together, you get $2.517 billion, which is 47 times more than Israel has spent. Israel is spending money in American universities on biotech research. They fund biotechnology programs. What are these Arabic countries funding? Well, mainly Islamic indoctrination. Any questions? Well, I, I would assume that uh, they would also be funding liberal ideology to break the family, break the backbone of America, as well as yeah. anti-gun uh, garbage as well, because they need to disarm the West so that they can take over for their Sharia stuff. Well, the Chinese spent $680 million themselves. Right, which is yeah. still a lot less than uh, the Islamic countries. But, you know, the... the uh, you know, Adam Green told me that Israel is behind all of this stuff, so we should believe him, right, and not the math. Well, look, so take $53 million from Israel on biotech, and then you take $3.2 billion, $3,200 million versus $53 million. And we know 53 is way bigger than 3,200, okay? Which, you, once you include communist China, and that is, that is, way that's over 50 times more than uh but we shouldn't look at china or the arabic countries because you know i mean you it's know racist it would be it would be racist it would be you know anti-marxist uh, islamophobic if we looked would at be facts wrong. it's okay to be it's okay to be anti-semitic but it's not okay to criticize brown people well so, but they on, but they live in caves with box cutters you know so i mean yeah, they so are victims yeah Let's have a look. Following the money. 
Let's just take a look at one university, George Washington University. So U.S. taxpayers for Middle East studies, okay, Middle Eastern studies, U.S. taxpayer gave $258,000. That's government money to that program at the university. What did the Islamic nations pay to George Washington University? $100,854,000. What did Israel give? $507,000. $100,854,000. $854,000 from Islamic nations for their indoctrination program, their dawah. Israel gave 507000 went into biotech. You tell me, this is from the Department of Education, Title VI grants 2019 to 2021, and Department of Education foreign gifts and contracts data 2011 to June 2018. And that link I've made available before in the previous episode, the link to that data, that spreadsheet is, is in the comments and in the description. Let's have a look. Let's graph this. Islamic lobby, which is the university dawah spend. Let's have a look at Israel here on the bottom versus all the other Islamic countries. This is what Israel spends on biotech, and this is what these countries spend on Islamic lobbying and indoctrination. This line here, I assure you, is longer than this line. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. But what about relativism? Um... Well, yeah. I, I mean, uh, see, I, I'm an SJW, and I feel that that line for Israel is longer than the one for Qatar and Saudi Arabia. That's where Hitler would say, you know what? Please proceed to the gas chambers voluntarily and gas yourself. Right. Uh, well, I mean. The gene pool can do better without people that dumb. So notice <laughs> the, the spending by Qatar is nearly $1.4 billion. Okay, so let's let's combine all of these numbers and let's put them into one single graph. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Israel versus all the other countries. That's the spend. Israel versus the Islamic countries over the last eight years. That is the spending difference. Biotech research versus indoctrination. So to conclude this section, they couldn't change your mind. So they went after your children. Pediomorphosis, as Leary would call it. Yeah. But they, wait, but wait, you know, synaptic nuisance says they say Israeli controls Saudis. I mean, I, we've already exposed that as utterly stupid dog vomit regurgitation in the last 13, 14 you know, shows. But I mean, it's got to be true if, if someone control that guy. What's that? The Zeta reticulans are controlling that guy. He didn't say that of his own free will. He said that because his mind is controlled by aliens. By uh, you're right. By, by, yeah. By Zeta reticulans. Exactly. That's why he said that. He can't help himself. He's he. I mean, he has a laundry list of talking points, and it's like, so you know, you you have to regurgitate them just because you heard them, and and that's what people say. So I'm regurgitating that's all it. That's all and they then have. You lick, and then you lick it up like dog vomit vomit yeah seriously you know it's like i don't know um let's talk about following the money again let's look at sharia finance okay which is worth currently in the u.s over three trillion dollars okay so the hot trend in 2017 the rise of islamic banks on main street usa Jewish banks? No, mainst Ooh, Islamic banks. In the United States, a quiet financial revolution is going on under the radar of the public eye. 
It's the rise of Islamic financial institutions ranging from small banks in the Midwest to nationwide investment banks and brokerage firms. Let's have a look. Islamic banks that fund terrorism. Inquest revealed a Washington, D.C. lobbying group with close ties to Hillary Clinton was paid by a Bengali bank tied to terrorism. And there was even Bank Meli, an Iranian bank linked to terrorist groups that are known and involved. So since 2000, Islamic banks have become a force to be reckoned with. Islamic banks' capital grew from $200 billion in 2000 to close to $3 trillion in 2016. In, 20, in the 2020s, they expect $4 trillion, which is fascinating. $4 trillion. That could buy me a haircut and a glass of orange juice, I'm telling you. So... But of course, you see, the $53 million that the Israelis get put into universities versus the $2.6 billion, one Israeli dollar is worth about 38.792 times of what a Saudi, if you give a dollar to an Israeli man and a dollar to a Saudi, that Israeli dollar can actually buy more because, because, because magic. Moving on. So the largest bank in the U.S. is worth $2.5 trillion. Yet Islamic banking is worth, at this point, over $3 trillion. And it's only going to grow. It's only growing. So moving on. So now we've got close to the end here. The vast power of the Saudi lobby. And this article was written in 2007. Somehow, though, I can't shake the idea that the Israeli lobby, no matter how powerful, isn't all it's cracked up to be, particularly where it concerns the Bush administration, past and present. Indeed, when I think of pernicious foreign lobbies with disproportionate sway over American politics, I can't see past Saudi Arabia and its royal house led by King Abdullah, the long and corrupt history of Saudi-American relations. And the article goes on. So moving on. Let's have a look. Let's, let's look at some objective sizes. I mean, so let's look. This is Israel by size compared to the U.S., right? This is Israel superimposed across the U.S., India, Mexico, and Iran. Okay. That is but but you got to take into account that they're filled with super people. I mean, you don't want to give Israel a, a tiny wiener complex here. Um. Yeah, these guys, um, you know, it's Goku and it's Super Saiyans. I know, I know. It's uh, Sure. Let's have a look at, this is Saudi Arabia imposed on the U.S. Okay. Let's put Israel on top of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it's tiny. There's nothing but, going on. But come on. I mean, Israel is filled with super people and Saudi Arabia has brown people with box cutters living in caves. Exactly. With no money. With no, no money and no political influence. Israel right? would literally disappear in the Great Lakes. It couldn't even fit in the Great Lakes. It would literally drown in the Great Lakes. So moving on. Here we've got Israel. Okay. That is the map of Israel. Let's, let's put it into perspective. That is where Israel, let's do that again. That is Israel's place in the Middle East. The green area are Islamic countries. The green area are Islamic countries. This little red area here, that is Israel. So let's see. The green area, as we all know, is made up of caves, camels, box cutters. And, well, they, and they drink urine too, though. 
yeah. a small minority of violent jihadis, just a small minority of over nearly 2 billion people. Um, they have no money. They have no oil. They have no power. They have no U.S. political influence. And they have no space for the fake Palestinians to go. Now, we also know that the red area has unlimited money and unlimited power, according to um, the very wise people who have no facts. So, <laughs> any questions? That's me. I'm done. Well, I'm I'm utterly convinced. I mean, you convinced me. Uh, do you want to unshare? You've convinced me of the of the power of super people, and uh, you know, I mean, because somebody said that the Saudis were under the control of Israel because they're super people. I mean. You know, with unlimited power and money and, and no facts. So, so yeah, the people that are trying to murder the Israelis, kill them and fund their death are uh, somehow somehow under the, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, so, well, there's another pig slaughtered for, you know, for the uh, SJW so-called truth movement, GDL frauds, ugly lies uh you know and we forgot to mention albert bashai he's another one of these islamic bankers uh, muslim bankers working in new york you know you know synaptic nuisance you know these idiots know nothing about the islamic ideology but yet they've got plenty of opinions right they're right. plenty well it's a it's another but, troll account um i didn't pull it you up you know what you're look synaptic nuisance look you're an idiot okay take my word for it now if you want to come on and have a debate with me about Islamic ideology and um, you can defend it all you like. You know that I would mop the floor with you and humiliate you because I just know so much it's, about it. It's the probably Matthew North or just Jesse Fat Slops so, Wood so Moorfield. You can tell me how Islamic ideology is compatible with Christian ideology or with Judaic ideology or, you know, and how nonsense, nonsense, bullshit. Sorry. You know, you people are idiots. So you have no figures, you have no facts. And um, I think we've just shown that your whole, these people have no money, no power, no influence. That is a bullshit story. We know what the source of it is. And uh, I would question that those two guys, Mearsheimer and whoever the other guy was, who paid them to write that book? Who funded it? Yep. I would agree with that. You know, do you want to uh, challenge... Uh... Uh, Arab Green uh, or any of these guys to a debate. I mean, obviously Caleb ran for the woods and then you know went talking crap behind our backs when he couldn't support a single uh, claim he made. But would you like to offer Arab Green or or any of these other uh, frauds? How well, or, in my, my opinion, how well do they know Islamic ideology? Because they clearly Islamic apologists. They clearly apologists for Islam, and they ignore. And they refuse to talk about the Islamic ideology that, that is behind Hamas and all these other organizations and the attacks in Israel by the Muslims who support these organizations, by these jihadis. And um, also, they, they insist on spreading their uh, false Talmudic quotes, which are lies, which we can happily pull up the actual citations and show them these are lies. And yet they insist on quoting these. That is an issue. Right, because if the ideology and people do believe these ideologies and do follow the ideologies in these books, 
then they need to explain how a violation of these ideologies is supposedly a manifestation of the ideology. Because if it says thou shalt not kill and a Christian goes and kills, goes, sorry, thou shalt murder and goes and murders, how is that Christian? So, but well, if, and, 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 you know, in Christianity is strictly against lying. Satan is the father of all lies, whereas in Islam, they worship will, not truth. And uh, they are allowed to use Takia and four other types of lying to justify uh, Islam, you know, and, and we've exposed this repeatedly, but these guys don't want to deal with such uncomfortable facts and truths. Well, I think, look, these people are talking, they're, they're, they're following Islamic talking points. They're following the Arab lobby talking points. I think we've demonstrated there is such a thing as the Arab lobby. There is such a thing as the Islamic lobby. There is such a thing as the Saudi lobby. Yet, this is not discussed. So there's only discussion talked about Israel, which somehow is supposed to have unlimited money. How do 20 plus Arab nations who have oil and lots of people, right, a huge market, not have the funds, the manpower, and the, the, the ability and influence Right in terms of their market, to to not influence the U.S. and we see that they do. I mean, there's so much information I have to leave out. Right. Also, they're close to Hillary Clinton. They're close to Barack Obama. They're close to George Bush. Right. These people have clout. They've influence, and there's so much more to be discussed. That I've only have so much time. But um, why are these things ignored by people like Arab Green? Why are these things like ignored by people like Riyadh Dawson? Somehow they're repeating the very same talking points of the Arab lobby. Is that a coincidence? It can't be. You know, and here's another issue, too, is when you pull up Albert Bashai or Arab Green or, you know, uh, Rhea Dawson, all of these guys, uh, they have uh, Palestinian flags in their in their backgrounds. You know, they're, they all use this uh, same mm. uh, symbolism. You know, maybe maybe Jesse Spotswood Moorfield is the only one who doesn't, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he goes around with a Masonic bag over his head. But... I mean, like, synaptic pestilence is going on. Look, anytime they, they need an, an escape, right? Anytime they need a get-out-of-jail-free card and need to pull some magic or rabbit out of a hat, it's the Israelis somehow did it. Now the Israelis somehow own is, sorry, the Israelis own Saudi Arabia. That is Shia propaganda. That is how the Shia are fighting against, that's the Iranians fighting against the Saudis by trying to affect or at least influence all of the disaffected in Saudi because Saudi has more than 70% of their population is below the poverty line, right? They're heavily oppressed population. That's not to say they are, they are heavily indoctrinated because they are. I've been there many times. But the, the issue is that they're trying to claim that, oh, the Israelis control your government. That's why you're poor. And now synaptic pestilence comes along and now he imbibes Iranian Shia propaganda. But it also it's a convenient way to attack the Jews and also to just get out of the truth. Well, you know, and it's like this halfwit uh, eyes wide open. Thank God they can't drop nukes off camels when we just showed that they're spending so much money on weapons and stuff. So, I mean, it's like. You know, it, it, there's just a intellectual yeah. disconnect there. They can't look at simple um, facts and come to. Dashing you know, Rogue asked about uh, maybe I should. Dashing Rogue asked about fourth generation warfare the other day. 
Um, and the fact is that it was long acknowledged that there is a new generation of warfare that is brewing. And um, let me just briefly share this. I'm going to, this article here, a new generation of unrestricted warfare from uh, War on the Rocks. It's by David Bono and Nora Ben-Sahel. So two Chinese colonels called a book about unrestricted warfare in the age of globalization. Modern warfare will no longer be primarily, primarily a struggle by military means or even involve the military at all. So these people were about a decade before their time, although even prior to that, the Marines had already written that warfare would be ideological. It would be forces fighting in the ideological information space. Not so the warfare would be economic. So the whole BDS movement is an economic warfare strategy against Israel. And all of the propaganda is to destroy the American-Israeli relationship, to reframe it using NLP to make it something toxic, to then promote the benefit of Islam and Sharia and stoning your wife to death. Um, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah, eyes wide open. Yeah, I got that. It was a joke. Um, so, anywho, so warfare is no longer about bullets and bombs and kinetic means. It's about ideology and economics. Correct. And pediomorphosis by manipulating our kids in the universities to believe dumb crap. And that's what they're doing. They're and, 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 and to hate America, you know, you have to hate your own country. I mean, for Sharia and Islam to succeed... Who does such idiotic ideology benefit? Does it benefit us and our neighbors and our families and our country? Or does it benefit our enemies? And if you think that your, uh, you know, your, your hate America crap is doing anyone any good, you know, go jump off a cliff or shoot yourself or something. Yeah. No, look, I don't think any of this is organic. You've got the communists who are pouring in nearly a billion dollars a year. Also, we discussed before, and I did find the references. Um, you can find the reference on Wikipedia. In this case, Wikipedia is reliable, but I have other references as well. Uh, discussion given to the U.S. government by some researchers. But the communists from the 60s, the Soviet Russia was spending a billion dollars a year on propaganda um, against the West to promote communism. Saudi Arabia spends three times that just on propaganda, three times that money. Where is that from, money going? From caves, they spend that, you know? Yeah, no, they, 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 they have a small money tree and they save up, they scrape up, they scrape together, they dig a little bit, they find shells, they sell them, sell their kids, you know, sell their little hair clippings and toenails to people who make wigs and they make a few cents here and then after that they they finally have a little bit of money to to fund their propaganda campaign, yeah. Right. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Thank you for uh, any support. Please support the show. Obviously, the main channel is, has been demonetized, and we've been over here for several weeks. Hopefully, they'll remonetize the other channel. I haven't heard back yet, but, uh, of course, they're making excuses about doing so and, and whatnot, dragging their feet. Uh, as far as I've heard, there is a class action lawsuit against Google YouTube for shadow banning channels. I need to uh, contact the lawyers for that and get on that as well. But uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you for your support. Please go to the logosmedia.com website, support the channel and the show. 
Also, please, uh, you know, you can subscribe on Patreon, etc. I've put the links in the chat tonight. Thank you, everyone. And, uh, you know, here's this guy, Brian Murray Truth, a voice in the desert. Religion divides us. Only if you've never studied any religion, um, if you believe that truth is God, like those who've read the Bible, you would get it and you would understand that Islam worships will, which is essentially Satanism. And is highly different. You shouldn't have deleted that because I was responding to his. Yeah, but why do people not dribble? believe that they are evil religions? They are evil religions, right? The the Aztecs and they clump everything people. together, right? Yeah, the Aztecs were slaughtering, beheading, and ripping, literally cutting open people's chests and ripping their hearts out while they were alive, of up to eight thousand people per day. Right. That was the just largest. at the uh, coronation of uh, Montezuma, but that's correct, and people can read that in, uh, yeah. in they, they uh, would slaughter Diego Duran's book. Right. Yeah, I've and read also, the official reports of that. And if you look at the Inca grave sites, they've got the largest child slaughter sites in the world, where children were sacrificed and killed. To but dogs. hey, you know that we 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 have to have. Uh, uh, oh shoot. Right when I went to say it, uh, uh, native revivalism and bring back shamanism and worship all things Aztec and Incan because those must be good because, you know, they're old and, you know, uh, whatnot. But yeah, then we'll bring back live human sacrifice next. Uh, unfortunately, those are part and parcel of that. Let me just uh, show people here. Um, this is a paper that I've worked on. Uh, let me see if I can find that. And, of course, Wasson lies about all these citations here. Uh, so when the, And this is out of uh, Diego Duran's book from the late 1500s. And he says, uh, all of them were sacrificed in honor of his coronation. This is Montezuma's coronation. And uh, it was a painful ceremony, and it was a pathetic thing to see these wretches as victims of Montezuma. It had become as common among these people to sacrifice men on feast days as it is for us to kill lambs or cattle in the slaughterhouse. I am not exaggerating. There were days in which 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, or 8,000 men were sacrificed. Their flesh was eaten, and the banquet was prepared with it after the hearts had been offered to the devil. When the sacrifice was finished and the steps of the courtyard were bathed in human blood, everyone went to eat raw mushrooms. With this, they uh, went out of their minds and were in a far worse state than if they had drunk a great quantity of wine. They became so inebriated and witless that many of them took their lives with their own hands. Under the strong influence of these mushrooms, they saw visions and had revelations about the future since the devil spoke to them in their drunken madness. And that is from Diego Duran, History of the Indies of New Spain, page 407, and I think that's from 1592. But that is one of the official reports. And I also have the official reports uh, that the Aztecs themselves mentioned about the uh, mushroom rituals, which were not good. But, you know, people actually think that these mushroom rituals, you know, are, are healthy. But uh, somehow, if you believe that truth is God, that is divisive, not bringing together. But, you know, I mean, Brian Murray has clearly never read the Bible, so excuse him. And, I mean, I was there once before I read it, and I believed stupid I mean, comments for instance, like that, too. I mean, religions are all about love. Islam is a conquest ideology. 
It is an ideology of warfare and conquest with a religious component. Right. And they believe that the world will be in peace once everybody is either murdered or subjugated in the name of Islam. So, I mean, the, the, the sheer amount of ignorance that people have, but I mean, at some point it would be interesting to sit down and talk to some of these, these Islamic apologists that go on, you know, as we've mentioned, Arab Green and so on, and see what do they really know about Islam? What do they really genuinely know? Are they simply mistaken or are they ideologically possessed by a certain agenda because they're, for whatever reasons, you know, that's, that's something that... Taking a paycheck uh, or whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be, will they, you know, but they don't seem to realize that so many Muslims believe what's in those books and what's in those books is violent, right? And it's not Christianity. It's not the same. And there's so many people who have these really, really ignorant opinions. And that's, that's very sad. You know, whether they're, sad. whether they're dupes or paid shills is the question, you know, that's yeah. what it comes down to. So, yeah, but I think we've, I think hopefully tonight I've conclusively shown I was going to do like 10 more slides on just the George Bush family, but I figured that was too many. But hopefully we've shown that the Arab Islamic Saudi lobby is powerful, is wealthy, has a lot more money than Israel. I mean, Saudi's GDP is double that of Israel. Did you want to uh, discuss uh, the list of Muhammad's wives or why the apostates have to be executed in Islam? Or is that for another show? Um. The list of Muhammad's wives and concubines. Oh my gosh! Um, do you think that's worth fitting in? I mean, the, the really, let's just maybe stick to the subject. I'm really tired, actually. You know, All right, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just. I wasn't reading very well because I'm really tired tonight. Let's save it for another time, but uh, that'll give some food for thought to uh, people. But yeah, there's a, a January second, two thousand ten. So hopefully, when people tell you that story, give you the narrative: Israel controls the U.S. and the Arabs have no money, no power, no influence. Well, show them the slideshow. Talk to them. Tell them what I've told you. It's absolutely not true. These people have more money than Israel. They have more influence and more power. Absolutely correct. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to the trolls for all your attention. Thank you to everybody for your support and donations tonight. Uh, please go to logosmedia.com. Support the show. We can't do it without you. See you next week. I'm not sure who's going to be on next week. We'll figure it out. And uh, we'll see you then. Thank you, guys. Do support Jan with all the work he's doing. Um, you know, he really needs it, and this is valuable work. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Good night.